in high school at Clearwater my senior year we were playing uh, Seminole High School and it was uh, you know a know-nothing game we, we were number five in the state Had we won that game we were going to go into the state playoffs the next week we were playing our rivalry and everybody was kind of hyping up anticipating that game against Largo and uh, so we were we were getting in this ball game and we got about uh, a third of the way through it, and we realized we're in trouble. Uh, we're not really ready for, for, for the team that we're playing right now. And lo and behold, it's the a, it's a fourth quarter, and there's a minute 32 on the clock. And uh, the quarterback for Seminole throws a pass to a wide receiver, Harry Burney, our safety, missed his guy, and they called it for a touchdown, won the ball game. I, I, I can feel it. I can smell it. I'm not over it. I don't know if I'll ever get over it. But what happened? Well, it's happened so many times that, that a team anticipates next week's game. And they fail to realize that what they're doing right now is the most important thing. Playing this team right now. And I believe that happens at Christmas. That we, we anticipate Christmas Day to the point that we miss everything between now and then. And then we miss Christmas. Because Christmas is more than the day. Christmas is about a person that we experience every day and every moment. And so my heart's desire is that we begin to focus in on Christmas in a very specific way. Uh, we, when we were planning for the Christmas series and theming out the concert as well as the sermon series, we chose the heart of Christmas. And here's where I'm going with that. Today, I want to talk about the heart, of, the heart of Christmas in different aspects over the next four weeks. Today is about the heart of the believer. How can we best prepare our hearts for Christmas? So the message is primarily for the believer today. Next week is the heart of the culture. How do we, how do we best impact and, and, and help our community and help our culture understand the meaning of Christmas and why we can't give it up. You see, what's happening in, in, in the subculture of the church is that we're giving up the gospel in certain ways that we're diluting it and we're losing our effectiveness. And so why is it so important for us to believe in Christmas, to speak about Christmas, to talk about Christmas, and I'll, I'll get to that next week. Then the next, the third week will be the heart of the scripture. And really how the scripture points to one person, Jesus Christ. Uh, and uh, and, and you'll, you'll be familiar with some of those passages. And then Christmas Day, Sunday, will be the heart of God. The love of God. And Him sending a Savior, Jesus Christ, for you. But today... We're going to look at a very unusual passage for Christmas. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, the last chapter in the book of 1 Corinthians. So if you have the Bibles, go ahead and open there. And, and I want to use this passage to talk about how we best prepare our hearts 
for Christmas and how we best prepare ourselves in ministry for Christmas, our church for Christmas. It's very applicable to this season of the year as Paul is talking to the church at Corinth. He's in Ephesus when he writes this and he's closing out this great letter. Chapter 15 is about the resurrection of Christ and what happens after we, after we die and uh, you know, our heaven experience and all the rest. But chapter 16 and verse 5, he says this, I will come to you after I pass through Macedonia, that is what we know as Greece today, for I'll be traveling through Macedonia and perhaps I will remain with you or even spend the winter that you may send me on my way wherever I go. I don't want to see you now just in passing, for I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord allows. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost because a wide door for effective ministry has opened for me, yet many oppose me. If Timothy comes, see that he has nothing to fear from you because he is doing the Lord's work just as I am. Therefore, no one should look down on him, but you should send him on his way in peace so he can come to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. About our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to come to you with the brothers, but he was not at all willing to come now. However, when he has time, he will come. Now, how do we best prepare our hearts for Christmas? Number one, establish a vision for the future. What do you want to experience over the next four weeks? Now, now we can talk about vision in so many ways and vision for you know, days, months, years to come. But let's think about vision and about the future just in the next four weeks as we are leading up to Christmas. How do we best prepare? Well, we need a vision. Paul is on his third missionary journey, and he is in Ephesus. He's going to go to Macedonia, then to Corinth, and then he's going to end up in Jerusalem. And so he's writing to the church, as you've heard, and he's uh, giving them instructions about with what to do with Timothy and about how they can help him and encourage him and support him. But notice he says, I will come to you after I pass through Macedonia. Paul anticipated more doors to open for him as he's going through these different cities, these different nations. And either, he's either going there to establish a church or he's revisiting a church, a group of believers, probably house churches, where he's going there to uh, help build up the work and, uh, and, and help the elders of those churches in many cases, solving problems, dealing with issues, and many of the letters that we have, Corinthians being two of the letters, where he's specifically dealing with issues in those churches. But he's helping them and helping us understand how important it is that we think about what we want to see happen over the next four weeks as we're preparing for Christmas. What, what's the vision? Have you stopped and thought about it? Well, for some, the vision is, I just want to get through it. I, I just want to, you know, man, as soon as this is over already, I'm feeling the tension of it. I'm not excited about it. I, I, I've got to do this, this, and this. And, and, and what should be a very enjoyable experience has now become a burden. Because of all the trappings of Christmas and what it's become, rather than, all right, God, I, I, how can I best experience you over these next four weeks? So I ask, what is your vision for you personally? What do you want to see happen in your family the next four weeks as it relates to Christmas? What do you want to communicate? Because I think the, the fear is, or the, the truth is, is that once Christmas is over, we have regrets. 
we look back and say, oh, I wish we'd have talked about this. I wish we'd have done this as a family. I wish this had been our focus and not this. Now, some things you can't, you can't control, but there's a lot you can. You can be intentional in the direction of how you're going to experience Christmas. So you might need to slow down. You need to stop, as Paul did, and he established a vision, a plan for what he was doing and what we're wanting to experience this Christmas season. Secondly, be sensitive to God's will. In other words, be flexible. I want you to notice the words that he will use in verses 6 through 8. He says, perhaps, even, wherever, hope, if the Lord allows. Now, the fact is, is that though you've created a vision for what you believe God wants to do over the next four weeks, as Paul did, that we have to be subject to God's will because those plans will change as they, as they did for Paul, it does for us. God's a sovereign God and he allows things to happen and we have to adjust to what he allows. I got a phone call just a few minutes before the first service. It wasn't good news. And so, so there's an adjustment that's going to have to be made to what's going on in that particular situation. And, uh, and, and so, you know, what choice do I have? Either I can play sovereign or he's going to be sovereign. He, he, you know, he's not going to adjust to my plans. I can promise you that. But I have to adjust to his, and you do. And Paul was very good at adjusting to God's will. So Psalm 37, 23, Psalmist says, A man's steps are established by the Lord and your lack of flexibility shows that you're playing sovereign that you want it to go your way you know what is best well I think there's a better option because none of us know what's best but God does so let's let him be sovereign rather than us play sovereign and I think that will really prepare us to experience the most this Christmas season a person who's not flexible listen you're going to experience pain if it's got to be your way. And it's not going to be a good Christmas. David Livingston wanted to go to China, great missionary. But God sent him to Africa. China didn't open up for him. But he learned to adjust. And he got happy about it. And served God and had a significant impact there in Africa. Notice also to experience and help prepare your heart for the Christmas experience. You need to do what you're doing and do it well. Paul was very thorough. He did not want to see them, he says, now just in passing, but he wanted to spend some extended time with them. He knew that ministry takes time. We talk about the Great Commission. What did Jesus say? The thing that he told us to do and what we should be doing to his disciples then and to all believers not to professionals, to all believers that we are to be making disciples of all nations, of all people groups. And uh, that's, that should be the commitment. We do that locally and we do it all around the world. Now notice he didn't say that we're to make converts. He said we're to make disciples. Convert is the first step. Conversion, regeneration is the first step. But, 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 but discipleship, that's a process. That takes commitment. That's hard work. And so Paul was very thorough in his work. 
You know, there are a lot of people who are busy, but they're not thorough. And maybe this Christmas season, you need to stop and evaluate all that you're doing and say, you know, there's some things I just can't do. And Paul realized that he couldn't be at all places, at all times, ministering to all people. Now, any, uh, he could go on to a lot of places, and he could have done a lot of good work. But he had to realize that he had to stop and think about strategically where he's going and that he's going to invest time there and he's going to be effective in ministry, be, be thorough. So thoroughness means that you're faithful in what you're doing now, asking God to really help you understand what am I to do and that I be fully committed to that. God's not going to open other doors if we're not faithful to what he's called us to do right now. Notice also, serve where you are now. He says, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. Now, Pentecost was one of the Jewish festivals. Remember in Acts 2 that the disciples were in the upper room waiting for the Holy Spirit to come, and the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, this Jewish festival. God was strategic. He knew that there would be many Jews in Jerusalem on this festival. So when the Holy Spirit came, that that would have the greatest impact on the number of people that were there. And uh, that's what God is doing for all of us in this Christmas season. There's a strategic time and a strategic place where God is going to have his greatest impact over these next four weeks in your life. Now, he talks about having effective ministry. This is the idea, again, of being thorough. Now, what is effective ministry? Uh, what, what is being effective in all that you're doing? Well, there are four phases. First is preparing yourself. Moses was in the wilderness 40 years before God called him to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt into the promised land. Actually, he never made it, but from Egypt into the wilderness. But he was preparing for 40 years. Jesus died at the age of 33 for 30 years. He was preparing for a three-year ministry. Think of the impact that he had during those three years. We're here as a result of it. So there's this season of preparing. Then there is planting. That's the second phase. That's investing in, 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 in the mission, in, in what God is doing. Investing yourself, planting yourself. Paul was committed to planting himself. Then there is persisting making the most of the time, enduring. Paul was in Ephesus three years. When he got to Corinth, he would stay two years there. Being, again, being thorough, investing himself to have the greatest impact in experiencing God in his work. Be true for us about these next four weeks that we are, we are persisting in what God's called to do. And then the last phase is producing. There's fruit. There's a harvest as a result of the investment. So again, I, I, I ask you, what is the harvest of Christmas? What's the fruit from Christmas that you want to experience? Well, you need to prepare yourself. That's why I'm talking about it today. You need to be investing, planting in things that you know are going to help you reach the harvest. If there's no planting, there's no harvest. Planting, not planting, but plant. if there's no planting, there is no harvest. And then you have to work it. You have to be persistent in it. So are you taking advantage of this time and this place over the next few weeks to maximize your Christmas experience? Notice also expect opposition. Verse 9, he says, yet many oppose me. 
Now, don't be surprised as you're trying to experience Christ the best way you know how to over this Christmas season, there are bad things to happen. They're going to happen. Every authentic Christian is going to have problems and opposition, and every authentic ministry is going to have opposition and problems. It just means we're going in the right direction. Don't run off when it happens. It's natural to want to, but but it means that you're right where God wants you. G. Campbell Morgan said, if you have no opposition in the place you serve, you're serving in the wrong place. Well, that's happy news, isn't it? But it's true. They're going to be good seasons of ministry. It doesn't mean you should be looking for trouble uh, around every corner. But when the opposition comes, if you're doing the right thing, the right way, for the right reasons, the opposition is going to come. E.B. Hill said, when man did his worst, God did his best. It's a great line. Revelation 3, Jesus says to the church at Philadelphia in Turkey, not in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I know your works because you have limited strength, have kept my word, have not denied my name. Look, I have placed before you an open door that no one is able to close. God wants to use you where there is trouble expected. Don't be surprised if he drops you behind enemy lines to rescue one person this Christmas season. He wants to use you to impact the kingdom of God. So don't be surprised when things around you aren't real positive. The light is on you. To reveal the love of God and the truth of God. Notice next, you have to be a team player if you want to maximize Christmas. Paul has sent Timothy and Erastus to Macedonia, as we see in Acts chapter 19. And then he wants Timothy to get to Corinth. He wants to meet him there in Corinth when he gets there. And he was sensitive to Timothy. Paul was his father in the faith. He was a mentor to him. And yet he knew that Timothy was vulnerable in his faith. And he needed encouragement. And he really needed to help him strike out on his own. Even now in this time, as we see in 2 Timothy, Paul knew that there would be a point that he was going to pass the baton on to Timothy. That many believed that Timothy was one of the key players after the death of Paul and the gospel continuing in that part of the world. He was raising him up. He was training him. He was discipling him, getting him ready. And so he's very sensitive about this. And so he wanted them to know how important Timothy was and that he was an equal in the faith. That's the point. That he saw him as a peer in the gospel ministry, one that he would co-labor with him. And God's putting, putting people around you to enjoy the Christmas season. What was Paul doing? He was acknowledging his dependence on the Lord, but also his dependence on other believers. And so that's why it's important that you get around believers during the Christmas season. We need to be around unbelievers to be a light, to be salt. But we need to be around believers because we need that encouragement, that strength, that help. Whether you're leading or following, it has to be done in a spirit of cooperation. We're all on the same team. Look. That's why you want to experience this Christmas, right? With the people you know and love. 
in the community, in the church, wherever. We're working together. And finally, recognize the Holy Spirit's work in other people. Verse 12, Paul mentions Apollos. And he said, I asked Apollos to join Timothy and Erastus. But he didn't feel like that was God's will. And so at some point, he'll probably come. Now, what was Paul saying? Paul was saying that I, I, I have a vision, I have a plan, I think what needs to happen, but I know that the Holy Spirit works in somebody else's life. And in this Christmas season, if you really want to experience Christmas to its full potential, recognize that there are other people around you that God wants to use to help you experience, that God's working in their hearts and in their lives. It's not about you, it's about all of you. You know, there might be one word today that you need to leave with after hearing the sermon. It's the word unity. That the Christmas season ought to be about oneness, not division. That, that we're together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And the, 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 the heart of the gospel is about being one with God. Paul talks much about being one with each other, loving one another. And so recognize that the Holy Spirit is working in other people's lives to help all of us experience the fullness of Christmas. And that kind of attitude will produce unity for you and for the body of Christ. John Patton was a college student in Scotland, and God called him to be a missionary in New Hebrides many, many years ago. And uh, these are islands in the uh, South Pacific, near Australia and Papua New Guinea. And so he had just married, uh, not just married, but had a, was married, had a young bride and a new child. And they went to the island, and after being there two months, this is an island of cannibals, never heard the gospel. As far as we know, had not seen a white man. He goes and uh, he begins his ministry. In two months, his wife and son contract a disease and they both die. He buries them and at night sleeps on their graves so the cannibals don't dig up the graves. He stays four years and when he leaves, not one person was converted to Christ. Many would say a failure in ministry. Well, years later, he married another woman. They had a son and that son, after hearing about his father's experience, decided to go to New Hebrides, and to the island where he served, his father served. And when uh, they got there, they began the ministry. And a few years later, the father, John Patton, wanted to go visit his son and family. And so he arrived on the island, and the chief of that island came to John Patton and said, Who was that army around your hut every night when you were here? He thought he had no impact. He thought God was not at work on that island. But he decided to stay with his son and family. And when he finally left that island after several years of ministry, he said, I do not believe that there is one person on these islands who has not confessed their faith in Jesus Christ. You see, the issue is not for Christmas having a successful Christmas, but having a significant Christmas. It's not about success being, we got through it and we didn't kill each other. We got all the presents for everybody. 
or whatever else. We, may, we got through our travel plans. We had a successful Christmas. But it's the significance of Christmas. And for us as believers, God just doesn't want to save us. He wants to do that, but so much more he wants us to experience him in a significant way this Christmas. And our hearts need to be prepared as believers to maximize this Christmas season. Well, that's for believers. That's how you prepare your heart. Well, somebody might say, well, I'm not a believer. I'm not sure if I'm a believer. Well, that means one of two things. That means you're not a believer, or it means you think you're a believer, but you're not sure you're a believer. You're doubting whether or not you are a believer. In reading Acts chapter 16, we find there that Lydia, maybe the first convert for Paul in his ministry, was a woman who came to know Christ. And this is the verse. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was spoken by Paul. Now here you have two sides of one coin. Notice what was said. The Lord opened her heart, that's his work, so that she would pay attention, that's her response, to what Paul had said. This is the idea of the sovereignty of God in the salvation process and man's free will, man's response to what God is doing in a man's heart. There's a lot of debate about that and we're not going to debate that and argue that. But it relates to the issue of whether or not we feel that we're a believer. I mean, have you ever said to yourself or maybe to somebody else, I've heard it often, Pastor, I think I'm saved, I just don't know. I don't have that assurance. I don't have peace about it. Well, again, you might not be saved. And the Bible says that God initiated the whole process of salvation. And if he wants you to be saved, he's going to reveal in your heart your need to be saved. That's going to happen. God saves he, can, he, he does that. We can't. But there is a human response to that. John 3, 16. Whosoever believes will have everlasting life. John 3, 36. The one who believes in the Son has eternal life. The one who does not believe in the Son does not have eternal life. John 6, 37. Everyone the Father gives to me, Jesus says, will come to me. And the one who comes to me I will never cast out. You have the two sides of that coin. John 20, 31. John says at the very end of the book of John, but these things are written so that you may believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son, and by believing you may have life in his name. New life, real life, eternal life. Well, there's some who would say, well, I just don't feel that I'm saved. And how can you really know you're saved? Well, God gives the promise. And then we have to rest in it. He who believes, what? Has eternal life. 1 John 5, these things are written in the Bible that you may know you have eternal life. He didn't say the one who goes to church, the one who prays, the one who uh, is good to people, the one who feels he's saved. He said, he who believes has eternal life. All those things are a result of our belief, not for our belief. Well, I don't feel saved. If you've confessed your sin, repented of your sin, you believe 
the work and person of Christ on the cross, what he did for you, and you are a follower of Christ, what makes you think you're not saved? You may not feel like it, but see, either it's true or not true. And if you made a commitment to Christ at some point and that was sincere, then you need to believe that and then the feelings will come. Somebody say, well, I think it's presumptuous to say that you can know that you're saved. I think it's a far worse presumption to doubt God's word and what God has said. God has said that he loves you and that he has saved you. And so we believe it, we rest in it, And then those feelings will come. The assurance will come. Listen, if you're not saved, God will reveal to you that you're not saved. If you think you are. Maybe I am, maybe I'm not, I don't know. God's not playing games with you. And if you're not, he's going to help you know that you are or that you're not. If you're not, don't worry about it. In the sense that he's going to reveal to you that you're not. If you've made that commitment, act on that commitment. Feelings are a result of our actions. Now listen, that's important for a lot of reasons. But if we're going to experience the best of Christmas, the best of Christ, that's all that there is. So I want you to bow your head and close your eyes right now. There might be somebody here today who would say, Pastor, I've never given my heart to Christ. I know that. I'm not a believer. Well, I want to encourage you today to experience the greatest Christmas you've ever had. There are new believers in this room today, this year. They've not had their first Christmas as a Christian. It's going to be different. It's going to be great. Because now it's starting to make sense what it's all about. And the real focus of Christmas. And that can be true for you if you're willing to humble yourself. To admit that you have sinned against God. And you're willing to turn from your sin and turn to Christ alone for your salvation. And become a follower of Christ. You can be saved today. And walk out of here knowing. Knowing that I've given my heart to God. Regardless of how you feel. But acting on truth. God will save you. So when we sing this next song, I'm going to invite you to come to one of our pastors. To come and give your heart to Christ. We'll help you do that. There might be some in this room who would say, Pastor, I feel like I am a Christian, but I just don't know. Well, look, Satan's got you in the doldrums. He's rendered you ineffective for Christ. So the way to solve that is to say one of two things. Lord... I think I'm saved and I'm going to act and believe as though I am saved and I'm going to move forward in my Christian life and I'm not going to doubt your word any longer Lord if I'm not show me but as of today I'm leaving it right here that you have saved me and I'm going to rest in that truth bring the joy of my salvation and he'll do it I think I'm saved, I don't know I'm saved. Maybe you really doubt what happened when you gave your heart to Christ. Well, nail that down. 
Were you saved back then? Maybe. But if you need to do it again to nail it down and to have that assurance, God understands your heart, what you're trying to do. And again, once that happens, you move on in your your Christian journey. God may be leading some of you to become part of our church family. A church that indeed loves one another. A church that is unified in its purpose, in its mission, in its passion for Christ and the gospel. And we would love for you to be a part of of what God is doing here. There might be others who need to come and pray here at the altar alone. You have a burden on your heart. You just need a quiet moment with the Lord. Maybe you want someone to pray for you. You let us know. And we'll do that now. God, thank you for this Christmas season. I know for many of us, it's here before we really knew it. We've been so busy. But now, God, may we just pause in these moments and really consider a word you use often in your word. To consider what you want to do in our lives. God, we ask that this Christmas won't just be successful, but it will be significant. And that you'll have your greatest impact on our lives these next four weeks as we yield ourselves to you. As we follow your will, as we adjust to the challenges that may come. God, thank you for loving us by sending your son, Jesus Christ, to earth and to the cross for us sinners. Help these who need to make commitments now. In Jesus' name, amen.